0: Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Jeffrey Ward. Jeffrey is a seven-time Emmy Award-winning and two-time Writers Guild Award-winning screenwriter, author, editor, and historian. Jeffrey has collaborated with Ken Burns since 1984 and has been the sole or principal scriptwriter for Huey Long, Statue of Liberty, Thomas Hart Benton, The Civil War, Empire of the Air, The Men Who Made Radio, Baseball, The West, Thomas Jefferson, Frank Lloyd Wright, Not For Ourselves Alone, The Story of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, Jazz, Mark Twain, Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson, The War, and The Vietnam War. He also wrote or co-wrote companion volumes for 10 of these series. Jeffrey was the principal or sole writer of Nixon, Lindbergh, Reminiscing in Tempo, The Kennedys, The Last Boss, TR, and Abraham and Mary Lincoln, A House Divided, all of those part of PBS's American Experience series. Jeffrey's also an independent historian and biographer, the author of nine books, among them A First Class Temperament, The Emergence of Franklin Roosevelt, which won the National Book Critics Circle and Los Angeles Times Awards for Best Biography the Francis Parkman Award of the Society of American Historians in 1989 and was a finalist for the Cold Prize. He is currently at work on two books, A History of the Partition of India with Winton Marsalis and A History of African American Music. He also writes frequently about India and Indian wildlife. Jeffrey lives in New York City with his wife, writer Diane Rains ward Ernest Hemingway, his next collaboration with Ken Burns, directed by Ken Burns and Novik is slated for broadcast on PBS in 2021. He's also working on upcoming projects with Ken Burns on the Holocaust and the United States and the American Revolution. Jeffrey, that was a very long bio. It's very impressive, and we're very honored to have you. Thanks for asking me. I just read your bio, and my bios never do full justice, and you do a lot of different things. So I'd love to hear, first off, Maybe you describe yourself, who you are, and kind of what you do. Well, I've always been interested
1: in history. Um, I came to writing in an odd way. I I was a painting major in college. I was an editor for a long time, but I've always been fascinated by history. And um, I was the editor of American Heritage Magazine for a number of years. Uh, I then, frankly, got canned from that job. And Ken Burns called me up. And asked me if I wanted to come look at a film he was working on. And I knew I knew nothing about films. I've always liked films and I've always liked documentaries. And um we hit it off. He was doing a film on the, the Shakers then. And he asked me if I wanted to try to try my hand at screenwriting. And I certainly needed something to do, so I so I started and I did
0: we did Huey Long. Uh and we've been working together ever since. I think that was nineteen eighty-four. And as far as your other works, you're also an author yourself and you work on many different things. So how would you describe if you were to meet someone at a, you know, a film or industry event, how would you describe what type of writer you are and all these different projects you work on?
1: I write history in a lot of different ways. I think that's what it is. Everything I've ever done is history-based. Um, the past fascinates me. And, um, uh, it's wonderful to have been able to reach so many people. You know, you can write books and you get a nice audience and people like your stuff. And I, I will never give it up. I love doing it. But uh, to reach millions of people with history, if you really believe history is an important thing that people should understand, is, you know, a dream. It's an absolute dream job. And I'm I'm
0: 79 years old and, and hope to be doing it until uh, they take me away. So you mentioned how you started working with Ken Burns around 1984. But what about before that? Did you always want to be a writer? Had that thought crossed your mind? Well, I started, as I said, in school, I, I was going to be a painting a painter.
1: And I, I have a degree in painting <laughs> from Oberlin College. But I had to earn a living when I got out of college. And so I became, I was a picture editor. And I was, then I was a, a friend of mine from college uh, founded a magazine called Audience that ran for a little while. And then I was at American Heritage. Um, I, and I really, I never thought of writing full time myself. I saw myself as an editor. I loved doing that. I still love doing it. But it was really partly, I started writing a few magazine pieces when I was working on the magazine myself, editing the magazine myself, and then this, this, and then Again, when I lost the editing job, I took on the job of writing about FDR. I got very interested in that and uh, persuaded publishers to, to let me do so. And um, I learned that I really loved writing. I, I I wasn't sure that I did before then, but I, I there's something about watching those pages pile up and realizing you're telling an interesting story um,
0: that is enormously appealing to me and still is. We are very excited to talk to you about your writing and focus on process. So I would love to focus this episode on the process of writing historical documentary, specifically. Is there a particular project, as we work through the process, that might be a good example, whether it's Civil War or, I know Hemingway is coming up, but I'm not sure if you can talk about that.
1: Let's try to talk about it generally, because there are certain general things that, at least least with Ken and I, I want to say that nothing I say necessarily applies to other people, but I'll uh, see what I can do. Um, huh. We'll just talk about how it's done. I started, I had a great advantage over other people who write about history in that I'd spent years and years reading, reading and thinking about and writing history and editing history. So I have a sort of, and I don't have to start quite as far back as a lot of other people do who, who work on, on history. Um, I sort of have a basic understanding of things when I start. You know, I know when things happen. I know who's involved on the the major scale. And I have, over the years, developed some sense of how much detail you can go into in a film. But what it does involve is an unbelievable amount of reading. I order, it's built into Ken's budgets. is money, really, for me to just order a library of books on whatever subject it is, Hemingway or... The Holocaust or what those are the current things, or the American heritage which I, uh, the American Revolution, which I'm just beginning to read about the way Ken and I have worked is i write I write the story the way I think it ought to be told i i'm I'm the narrator <laughs> um i I don't try at as I go along either to tell them where footage should be or uh, except once in a while, when I know there's some wonderful thing that they might overlook, I'm really trying to write a story. It's a it's a skeletal, bare bones version of of whatever we're doing. Um, I I try to make the story as complicated as I can within a simple story, if if that makes sense. Um, what we we try to not do uh, people who are entirely heroic or entirely evil the way, I mean, Hitler is entirely evil, but for the most part, people have good and bad sides, and we try to include both of that, so that these are not a-geographic films. Uh, they're, they're trying to be about people as, as real as, as you and me. Um, I, anyway, I write it. Uh, I, Ken often does series, so I write two or three or four or five shows, whatever I think it ought to be. Then we, Meanwhile, uh, other people are collecting pictures, paintings, uh, footage, uh, recordings, all of that stuff, and we blend them. Some people with whom I've worked, they're perfectly good filmmakers, it's just a different way to do it. They write a, a block of narration, and then they say they've read a book by Professor Blank, who says something they want to have him say. And they actually put in a little block of quotes from his book so that when they interview him or her, uh, they can get them to say more or less what they've said in their book. Ken believes, and I believe, that um, people, if you interview people, they're much better if if you ask them questions and you don't tell them in advance what the questions are going to be, that they will give you a much more honest, um, heartfelt version of things. And so, so we don't we don't try to set that up. Sometimes I'll say we need we need a bunch of heads here, <laughs> but that's all I say. I don't, I, you know, and let them and let them argue about whatever it is that that, that the issue is. Um, but the, but basically, I I do a story structure a story structure, and then we get together and uh, and go through it, and usually cut quite a lot. It just at the first at the first go. And then we have uh, what we call blind assemblies, which are basically uh, if we have interviews and we and and they've been selected. Sometimes they get dropped in as we go, but basically it's listening to Ken drone my narration, uh, and we all sit and listen to it, and then decide you know we were bored here, or this part should go after that, or. Uh, we find that very useful. In the old days, we made very, very, very long versions of the film, you know, in the old real film days where you clipped it together. And uh, that was uh, enormously expensive and time consuming. Now, the combination of um, the technology we now have uh, and, and the blind
0: assembly, we, what we do is much more efficient. I would love to break some of those pieces down. You kind of gave sure. us an overview of everything. What I'm first curious about is where the ideas for each project come from. Does that start with Ken coming up with a general concept and then approaching you? Does he pitch it to PBS? Walk us through those very early stages and how you get involved. I am um, blessedly ignorant
1: about how he persuades PBS to do things. I don't have to do that. (laughs) Um, the ideas come from him, from me, from other people on the staff. We talk about them. He has. A, he, we still have a long list. I will not live to see the end of the list. And there, you know, he's been so successful that PBS generally has, been, has smiled upon our projects. I know in um, in all the years we've been working, and this is hard for some people to believe. I think um, we have never been told either what to do or what not to do in a film ever they really leave you alone and then they back what you do and there and the result of that is i'm very happy that, that we've never had to go anywhere else to do any of this where where there's you know input from funders and and so on we've we've been um we've been very very fortunate in that as far as the writing itself are you the sole writer We've done it uh, different ways. Uh, Dayton Duncan, who has written a lot for Ken and I, had done some films together. We did Mark Twain together. But uh, lately, I've been I've been the sole writer. Yeah, and I did most of the writing, even on the, not on that on the ones with Dayton, but on the on the earlier earlier ones too. It's been uh, it's been quite a <laughs> it's been quite a journey through these
0: stories. <laughs> when I see them, when I see them all written down. I, I do say to myself, Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. As far as the writing itself. I imagine, you know, with any story, some writers have different opinions on this, but usually there is some form of an outline. Walk us through your initial outlining process. I imagine you're doing a lot of research, but once you get to a point where you're kind of trying to structure everything, what does it look like? Do you have a physical outline? No. Um, and that's, a, uh, you know, there are people
1: who, who use them. And I have never, I never, even in school when I wrote stuff, I used to write it. You know there there were classes where <laughs> where you were supposed to hand in your your essay and the outline, and I always got very good grades on the outline because I made it after I'd written the essay so that it what <laughs> i I don't start with an outline I mean I know it, that's not quite fair. I know you know in the first show of the American Revolution you got to get from the from the intolerable acts by the British through probably <clears throat> Lexington and Concord. I know that. But I don't know, there isn't any, you know, ABC outline. I don't write anything down. Uh, About halfway through a script, I do less for the outline than for uh, convincing myself I'm making progress. I will write down, you know, if I've done three or four scenes, then I know those will lead me to the other ones. And if I write them all down and I draw a line through them as I write them, I feel that you know my cause is not hopeless, which is, which is what every writer on whatever you do uh, feels from time to time. I think, but I don't. It's just it's a quirk of my brain. I've worked on several things with Wynton Marsalis, who is an utter genius. He can't get up in the morning without an outline. I mean, he, he, you know, and he ticks everything off by the end of the day. He does that whether he's composing music or writing a book or whatever he's doing. And I, you know, I'm interested to see the outline, but I even when we were working on the book together, he, he wanted an outline, and we did one, and it, it sort of followed that. But it, it, I think it provides sort of confidence and reassuring uh, reassurance for some people. I, I just have never um, known how to use one.
0: As far as the script itself, are there any steps between when you and Ken decide to move forward with for the documentary and when you start? Sitting down to actually write out that script. If you don't have the outline, is that when the reading comes in? Is That's that right. when the research? That's
1: when the reading comes in and the research. Okay. The reading is funny. I have a son who writes, and uh, he's written three or four books. And uh, he was talking to me the other day, and he said, "You know, the really weird part about being a writer at home is that there's a he writes history too, that there is a there is a period when you just plain have to read and." You you sit in a room reading a book and then he said after a while a little paranoia sets in and you realize you you think some stranger is gonna look in through the window and say, Ah, that guy's just reading. And <laughs> there is something it's sort of after a few days of it, you really have to you have to type something just so that you know you're still alive. But there's no um there's just a period we agree to do it, I get a contract. Uh, I sort of say goodbye to Ken. Then I work for a while, and he calls every so often. and And uh, he's an incredibly driven person. He has a lot of projects at once, and he and limitless energy just astound me. And what he what he the, the moment when he relaxes on a show is when I write the introduction to the first show. And it, 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 he's waiting for that on American Revolution. This conversation is holding it off yet another hour it drives me nuts. I mean, he just, I'm sorry, Ken. Somehow somehow when he has the introduction, he can breathe deeply and know that we're going to, now we're going to, now I know what we're doing, you know,
0: not that he doesn't know, but he wants it, he wants it in English, in, in narration form. As far as the reading itself, I imagine you're taking notes. How are you kind of gathering that information? What's your organizational process? Maybe it's not an outline, but I assume maybe there's note cards. There's some rifle of kind of, lots of converting notes. this lots of notes. Yeah. What does it look like? You're just note cards or? Well, I, sometimes uh, if,
1: they're, if, it's, if, they're not, if it doesn't look as if there are going to be a very great many, I actually write in the back of the book, I, the, the blank pages at the back of the book, because then I know where to find it. Yeah, it was in that book, and I remember there's a page number, and I know where the quote comes from. Most of the things I write down are quotes. There are things that help us um, make make the story human by having people from the time. Uh, Ken is a sort of pioneer in doing that. We started, we did a lot of it in Civil War. Well, he did it in Brooklyn Bridge before I ever knew it, but we did a lot of it in um, in the Civil War. Um, the goal of all of these shows, I think, th- they're two parts. It's who are who are Americans. That's one thing. Who are we? And the other is. Um, th- is the basic belief that the people you're dealing with in the past, where whether they wear civil war uniforms or wigs or cowboy hats, are people uh, n- neither more innocent nor smarter than we are, and that they don't they don't know what's going to happen, just as we don't know what's going to happen, and I think um, I think those principles have, have what. Have kept the series alive.
0: We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience podcast, with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favourite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's A Classic Podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre, and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Tell us about the script itself. I imagine it varies fairly greatly from a feature film script, like a Hollywood script. What are the different types of things you're thinking about? Obviously, I imagine you are writing dialogue from interviews that you would hope to put in there. And I imagine, obviously, you're putting in the quotes that you're finding from the book. Maybe, I assume, throwing in areas where there'd be archival footage and that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Am I missing anything? Walk us through all the different no, types of content.
1: That's right. And it, it, I don't write dialogue. That that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, everything, everything you hear somebody say, someone said. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, there's some basic principles of it uh, that are just, seem to me anyway, again, our scripts are different from most of the scripts uh, that I've seen. In that, I mean, I don't use a special, some kind of special uh, software. I, it's, they're just written in Word, and I, you know, I type the word narrator, and then whatever I'm saying, I say, uh, and then that's then there'll be a quotation from somebody, and maybe, and maybe room for a head. Although I'm never sure where, exactly where they're going to go. Um, but there are certain rules I, that have been helpful to me. One of them is that pictures are your topic sentence. It's amazing how often I type what seems to me a perfectly good topic sentence, the kind you would use in a book. And then when we get going, you realize you don't need that. We're already in France. You know, the picture is Paris. You don't need to, you don't need to explain that you're going to Paris. Um, th- things like that. Uh, fancy writing doesn't work. Any line that you are especially fond of uh, will never make it into the final film, and shouldn't, because at least from my point of view, the narrator should be as straight and exclusively storytelling as possible, and should never call ever ever call attention to itself. If 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 the viewer at home says, "Wow, what a beautiful line," it probably shouldn't be in the film because you want to get to the next thing and the other thing you know are things my mother taught me when i was a kid she was a very good amateur editor is get rid of adjectives and adverbs they don't help you in a film the way you're looking at things and uh, these are just random things that occur to me the other the other thing is when i started again i didn't know i you know i still have never taken a course in this or anything but the style especially when um american experience began there were a lot of people who were used to very 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 spare narration the way it's done say in a news program i write long sentences just because i've always worked, written long sentences i talk in long sentences and uh as long as you can find a narrator who knows how to breathe <laughs> Um, long sentences are fine, we've discovered. And so, uh, you know, all of that works as
0: long as it contributes to the overall story you're trying to tell. As far as the number of drafts for the script, is the ongoing script, does it change when the interviews happen? Do the interviews happen simultaneously while you're working on it? No, uh, the script is never done until you lock. We're always fiddling. The main structure,
1: by the time we're through those blind assemblies, it's pretty much fixed. Sometimes stuff gets cut because when you get through, it's too damn long <laughs> and you just have to say, okay, we're not gonna do that scene or we have three talking heads here and we really only need two, that kind of thing. But they are, th- that's sort of the reason we do the Blind Assembly is to get our structure. And then
0: within that, we can, we can fiddle. As far as the production itself, at what point is the script at before people start going out and filming the interviews, or is that happening simultaneously? Not, pretty much simultaneously. Okay. There's a little lag, but
1: not much. I'm still writing when they're interviewing people because uh, we begin to drop in, tentatively drop in talking heads uh, when they if if I think they help the story, we drop them in, and um, and we keep doing that on you know toward toward the very end. Because sometimes you feel, well, we don't have anybody who really talks about this, and then you go out and get somebody.
0: Is there any reason why the process isn't go out, get the interviews first, and then reverse engineer the script, you know, based on what you're missing from those interviews? We've never done it that way. I, that may
1: be a way that people do it. I I wouldn't know how. But, I you know, I, I mean, I think this all of these approaches are are personal, and, and they're based on the people involved. Um, some people... Some people don't like narration. Ken is perfectly happy with it. Um, It's not fashionable to have narration. Old-fashioned, you know, it's the the voice of God business. But my view is if it helps you tell the story and it isn't pompous and overblown and
0: sounding like the voice of God, um, it's helpful. As far as the interviewing itself, are you ever on set for those interviews, or is that always happening outside and then being sent to you? I
1: almost always happen. I had polio when I was a kid, so it's hard for me to get around. But uh, that I, I, most of the almost all but a very few of the interviews, uh, I I just receive the stuff. I don't. Um, I help select some, but I don't. Um, I don't go out on, on the shoots. I did. I did sneak on the set for jazz because I. Just the idea of being in the room with people I idolized was uh, was too much to resist. But I don't have anything to do with asking questions or, or anything. Lynn is a master at that. Ken is a master at that. I'm a walking example of how good they are. Um, when we did Franklin Roosevelt, uh, I was they wanted to interview me, and I resisted for a while, and then I said, "Well, okay, if you really think I should be in it, I will. I will do it." And but what I was determined. To do, to not do when I when they signed me up was to be emotional about polio. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna give in to that. And uh, on the third question, Ken got me, and I'm you know teary eyed in the film. And I do I don't, I'm quite happy that it happened. But it, uh, he's really, really good at getting good stuff out of people. I, it's a, it's a gift I don't have. I tend to, I tend to um, talk over the
0: interviewee, which is not helpful. What are your thoughts on reenactment footage or scenes that are recreating the past? You mentioned you don't write original dialogue per se, but what about writing scenes?
1: That's not my bag. I I, I simply don't. It's, people do it very well. I have, It's not a moral thing. I just don't ever believe them. The minute somebody comes on in a wig, I, I know that that man is going to take the wig off and have a, I have a burger as soon as the camera goes off it just doesn't to me (laughs) and what i want is i want to i want to make you think when you're watching that you are in the world that i'm talking about i just and again i don't uh, object to it on any level except just how it works on me which is
0: it doesn't work i imagine the alternative to that would be maybe using archival footage so whether it's you know war footage or stuff from the time yeah that's right As far as how that's coming about, I imagine there's a team that's pulling that. And are they sending that to you to help inform the script? What's your working relationship with that team?
1: No, uh, we talk about it after the script is done. And I put in footnotes. uh, I put in our scripts are very academically footnoted now. They weren't when we started, but now sort of every quote is carefully uh, sourced. And if I have seen on YouTube footage of the liberation of Dachau, I put that in there. I'm very visually oriented, I think because I was a a painting major. I've always loved illustrated histories and I love writing captions for pictures and so on. So I have a sort of inbred interest in what the imagery is. And it's helpful to them, um, I think. <laughs> um, you know, I'll just say, don't miss this picture. Or how about, you know, we should at least look at it. That kind of thing. Uh, but for the most part, they do all that. Uh, there's a, you know, there there are people looking for footage, and there are people looking for photo for still photographs. Um, the, we build up a huge database for the war- for Vietnam. I think I think we had twenty four thousand images. Uh, that we could draw from, and when I was doing the book, which has you know three or four hundred of those pictures, I use that a lot to decide what pictures to use they 're very 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 thorough it 's a terrific
0: can always has terrific people doing all this stuff as far as post production and your involvement, how important or how integral is that? side of the storytelling process especially documentary i imagine a lot of the story is still being told still being done during that phase how would you compare it to the writing the script itself and do those two converge and are you involved in that final process
1: i go to every meeting when we run when we look at the film again and i you know and we just did hemingway which is almost done and i you know i would say that basically 99% of those decisions are already made and working fine. But occasionally I'll say, you know, that picture, in that picture, he looks too old. You need to check the date of that picture because because I know something about how he was at a given period. So I'm I hope I'm useful with that. And and um occasionally, you know, you'll say, we don't need that adjective. You know, it may have gone through 15 iterations, and then you suddenly realize we don't need to say that and then we can cut something. But that's usually when the narration is laid in. Um, It's Peter Coyote, who's been a marvelous narrator for a lot of our films. So uh, adding things is very difficult at the end. You can't, unless we can cobble together from something else he said. And it's especially complicated under this damned lockdown because you can't go back to the studio and do something with him.
0: But um, for the most part, the, the script, the script, holds together by them there's not much fiddling what about music obviously music is a very important part of the storytelling process and the final work do you have music in mind as you're writing or is that something that you always pull together at the end or once in a great
1: while and i had a lot of ideas on jazz some of which happened but um that's not my that's not my thing there there are others who know much more about music than i do and it's mysterious Uh, that that is uh that's uh you know filmmaking alchemy and how you keep all that stuff in your head and decide that we need this particular kind of music at this particular point but they're they're canon and uh, sarah botstein who works on that
0: uh, are wonderful similar to how you had said that you kind of prefer not using reenactments per se do you feel that music that's pulled from the actual time is more effective than a score that's created in present day
1: we tried very hard to do that uh in fact we become sort of obsessive about that in vietnam there wasn't a single piece of music that what didn't exist when the scene we were showing happened which means sometimes sometimes music you would rather have used you know uh, came too late to be in um, and then there's other kinds of stuff, which is not score, but it's uh, stings of various kinds, about which I know almost nothing, except that they have a lot of them, <laughs> and they use them to build tension and and so on. And it's not exactly music, it's sounds.
0: At what point do you know that the film is completed? You had mentioned post-production process but is there a final meeting where everyone sits down watches the film has a conversation about it and decides to move forward we have a drink
1: yeah it's a great moment on every film and it's a lot late, later than you think it's going to be usually but we get it done and um it, it's a it's a terrific feeling of accomplishment to to finish one of these things I, can i say a word about ken sure the reason that it's so rewarding for me to work with him is he has, first of all, he has limitless energy, so he's doing six things. I think he has seven projects going at the moment. Um, but beyond that, uh, I've worked with other people. They're very good filmmakers and very nice people, and it's not true of all of them, but history scares filmmakers. Uh, they remember history as social studies from school and uh they don't see it as a story, and they are not persuaded that a modern audience will commit the amount of time to tell a complicated historical story. Now, Ken has proved them wrong, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, 20 times with me, and God knows how many overall. But I spend a lot of time on those on those films, saying, no, that's really interesting. I promise you, when we get to that, uh, you need to know that Nixon is complicated. Uh, You need to know that, um, you know, whatever it is you're doing. He has none of that. He's just, uh, he's always been interested in stories in the past and believes absolutely, I I keep saying this only because um, you don't hear it very often, people in the past are exac they're different from us because they're in the past. But otherwise they are exactly the same. They have the same desires, the same flaws, the same complexities. And um, he's happy with all of that. He's happy to hear, you know, bad things about a good person and good things about a bad person. And um I, I find I've that's been enormously satisfying. And it I not, and I feel badly for people who Either have to persuade their filmmaker the whole time that what the, what the enterprise is worth doing, or that uh, that you can't understand, that people won't understand a complicated thing, and therefore you have to make, you have to streamline it and make it very serious, a very, a very simple, so that virtue triumphs in the end and the good people are all rewarded and the bad people are all punished. Yes, it doesn't work like that.
0: Is there one experience you've had working with Ken Burns that's the most memorable? I'll tell you the first one because it's embarrassing. Um, when we did Huey Long,
1: uh, we finished it, and uh, it was taken by the New York Film Festival. I there I knew nothing about documentaries or anything else, so I, I I said, "Well, that's nice." And we went. I went to the event, and you know, I I thought, "Well, it's great. You you write films, and then they become, then they win the, uh, then they get into the New York Film Festival." So. I didn't realize that that was a distinction. And, uh, I have been constantly surprised by how much, how many people watch, how much attention gets paid. If there is an experience, it's that one. It's just over and over again. We've been, I've been thrilled to know that, um, millions, literally millions of people are learning about Jack Johnson or Louis Armstrong or, you know, Thomas Jefferson or, Susan B. Anthony, all all of those extraordinary people um,
0: that people sort of know about, they've had a good look at, thanks to Ken. Jeffrey, you've won seven Emmy Awards, two Writers Guild Awards. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you have the Ernest Hemingway project coming out in 2021, and you're working on two other projects with Ken Burns, Holocaust in the United States and the American Revolution. But in general, as far as your goals, you've already achieved so much. What's the next milestone you want to achieve?
1: Well, I want to keep doing these things with Ken as long as I can, because I, I love doing them. And I'm going to try to do a book on African-American music with Wynton Marsalis, which is a joy every minute working with him. I have plans for a book on um, how British rule ended in India. I lived in India when I was a kid, and I'm fascinated by that history. So I hope to do that. I don't have some giant goal, I think. I just want to keep doing this stuff as long as I can.
0: 'Cause I love doing it. The last question is, if you could choose one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to those writers who are listening right now, what would you choose to say?
1: I think it's what I say to kids uh, who talk to me. I don't think just working for my life. I started out to be one thing. I became a second thing and I ended up a third thing. I was going to be a painter. Then I was an editor. Then I ended up writing books. Then I ended up Doing films, I guess that's four things, and all I mean by listing all that is, I think it's very hard to predict. It worries me when kids uh, get out of school and begin to talk to you about how in five years they'll be this, and in ten years they'll be that, in fifteen years they'll be another thing. They'd have no idea what they're going to end up doing, and I think people should uh, welcome that rather than obsess about
0: where their career is going. Love that. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. It's been a lot of fun. As I mentioned, Ernest Hemingway coming out in 2021 and your upcoming projects with Ken Burns, The Holocaust in the United States, and the American Revolution. Look out for those. Could I ask you one bonus question? Sure. Bonus question is, if you could choose to take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose which restaurant and why? (laughs) Wow. To a
1: fast food restaurant. I I knew Philip Roth, and uh, God knows he was a freelance writer and one of the most delightful and funny people I've ever known. I would love to be able to take him. I guess, does it have to be fast food? could be anything. Gabriel's, which is a restaurant which, alas, is closed now, but we used to be a wonderful hangout for all of us on the Upper West Side uh, because it's right next to Jazz and Lincoln Center, and they had wonderful Italian food. He would have enjoyed that, and I would have, God
0: knows, enjoyed his company. Amazing. Well, thank you again, Jeffrey. Really appreciate your insights and time. It was an honor and we had a lot of fun. Did you have fun today with us? I did. It was great. Well, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.